Hello, everyone, and welcome again to episode five of our series Logistics in Motion. And with me today is Peter Hawkins. And with me today is Arno Mello. And today we're going to be talking about entrepreneurial horror stories. So essentially, <laughs> we're going to be sharing some stories of some, well, some disasters and some sad stories, to be honest with you. And these are people who decided to import or export products, but uh, didn't do enough research or uh, had some other kind of problems. And we're hoping that these will be uh, uh, stories that can uh, help you folks make decisions about what you want to develop for your own company. Yeah, and, and inspire you as well, I think, because starting an import and export business, there's so many aspects of it. And some people, uh, they call us, they have no idea how the importing process works or the exporting process. And um, one of the uh, services that Melohawk Logistics provides is consulting. So uh, I've talked to many, many new uh, businesses and explained to them uh, how importing into Canada works. And they have always questions, not only on the technical side, but also on marketing and product penetration. And some of those subjects, uh, we cannot uh, consult them on, right? We can only consult on the things that we we do and we do well. And that's why Peter says there's some horror stories because we, we've seen uh, some great success, uh, through the years, we still have those clients, but we see some failures as well because people did not do their research. And research is crucial. Product analysis is crucial, especially if you're dealing with food or fashion into Canada. Uh, what might be very successful in Brazil and all over the world might not work here. Well, one of the things that we've seen lately, of course, is people trying to bring in PPE. People thought they were going to make a bajillion dollars by bringing in uh, nitrile gloves or face masks, and suddenly the demand was crazy, and they were finding suppliers online, and they were bringing all this stuff, and they were placing the orders, and they were promising people from all over uh, everybody who needed it. It became a real Wild West situation. But what they weren't factoring in was the uh, increasing rise in uh, price for the actual um, uh, planes. The rates were, were just going astronomically. And when they brought the product in and then they delivered the product, well, they in fact had no experience. And so over and over again, authorities were rejecting products. Something had mold, something was the wrong size, something was the wrong quality, and people lost their shirt. It was just... A disaster. And I really want to stress to people that uh, there is no get-quick-rich scheme. Even though you're trying to do the right thing by bringing in the right product, the fact is we saw so many people who did not have the right expertise trying to do it and just falling flat on their face. It was a disaster. Another aspect of bringing or starting a business is, as I said, what a product that works so well in some countries, people don't realize that in Canada has many, many restrictions of, of importing it here. Uh, typical example is alcohol. So again, I am from Brazil, and in Brazil we have a drink called cachaça, which is made of sugarcane. Well, it's a very popular drink, it's a national uh, drink in Brazil, caipirinha, of course, that's what you make with cachaça. And we see many, many people trying to uh, bring alcohol into Canada. It could be sparkling wines, uh, it could be wine, it could be cachaça. And what they don't realize is that 
uh, alcohol is highly controlled in Canada and it's controlled by province. So it's not easy at all to just simply bring alcohol into Canada, clear it and uh, start, you know, distributing or even samples is impossible to import. And it's heartbreaking to tell clients that, look, it's one of the most difficult products to bring in. There is uh, set regulations. There is only one broker in Ontario that can clear alcohol. And for that broker to clear, you have to have a, you know, a pre-authorization to even get the product landed here. So again, research and market research is so important before you go on on this dream that you have a product that's going to make you millions of dollars. And you have to remember here, too, that marketing is so key. Canada is not a country full of early adopters. So many other countries, if you introduce something new, they say, oh, let's try it because it's new. But in fact, Canada is, oh, let's watch and see somebody else try it, and then we'll decide if we're going to try it as well because it's new. And so you'll find that we like to wait and see somebody else try it before we try it. And that is kind of a surprise to importers who, especially if they're immigrants to Canada and they have a wonderful product back home that they're bringing here, one that is hugely popular, and then they bring it here and in our much smaller population with our much, much smaller diaspora of their home um, of immigrants from their country, um, the product just doesn't take off. One of the key things that I remember was the Dosi de Leche drama. Dosi de Leche is a sensational product, as you all know. It's uh, essentially a, a, a boiled milk product. And um, it, it uh, came in to, uh, it was very popular in ice cream and then eventually uh, some large chains started bringing it in and they were really excited but the price and the duty was much much more than people remembered from back home. So back home it might be the equivalent of a few dollars but here it was 12, 13, 14 dollars for the same size jar and frankly the people who knew the product and loved the product refused to buy the product at that price. Eventually the uh, chains had to take a big loss on the product and uh, mark it down, mark it down, mark it down, and it was really selling for pennies a bottle at the end. Now, they still you can still find the product, but nothing like the way they were trying to do it and trying to promote it as essentially the next best thing since peanut butter. Another product that is you know quite popular and we hear a lot is coffee, coffee beans from Brazil. And of course, Brazil is one of the largest producers and it, it produces amazing quality coffee. But there is so many people that already have that market and has been here for many, many years developing buyers and establishing connections that it's just, we see it so hard, so many people trying to penetrate this market like overnight. Well, you know what? We, we've seen people who have uh, brought containers full of coffee and they have the beans here and they're ready for roasters and they don't have any relationships at all. And they're shocked that all of a sudden the people don't want to buy from them. They're not sure of the quality. They're not sure of the origins. They're not sure of the uh, regulations that applied for the growing of the coffee. And the people who are doing it, they have those relationships and they're not about to give them up. It is a very tough market. And it is one that you should you can't do it part-time and you certainly can't do it by bringing the coffee in and keeping it in your house and in the different bedrooms and having the dry Canadian houses dry out the coffee. You really have to know what you're doing. This is not for the faint-hearted. Another thing one of our clients experimented with was bringing lingerie. Lingerie in South America is 
beautiful, beautifully made, handmade, really quite amazing. But one of the interesting things is the idea that uh, the women in North America had one idea about what lingerie was and what the purpose was versus what the people in uh, the clients in uh, South America wanted to do with lingerie. And in many cases, women in in uh, North America want to almost pretend they have nothing on under their clothing. They don't want to make a big deal about the lingerie, whereas South American women will often showcase the lingerie. And as a result, we found that uh, uh, people were bringing in beautiful products, beautiful samples, and the North American women were larger, and so all of a sudden the sizing had to change. And um, also they were not appreciating the, the different colors and the different fashions and the different styles. It really is an exclusive market, not a mainline market. And um, uh, that was quite uh, a shock to so many people who were experimenting with importing lingerie. They were only ever able to tap the boutique market, nothing more. And one of the problems that happened is because in many other countries, fashion is quite disposable and the fashion season flips much more often that if you're showing the samples in uh, March for Christmas, well, by the time you place your order in for Christmas, the machines and everything have changed in the manufacturing countries because they're not making that thing anymore. It's gone to a new a new style, and the order will never be big enough to hang on to, to the old style. So it became a complicated and difficult thing. It was a real tragedy to see some of those people go under. It is sad to watch because remember, and we were talking about this the other day, sometimes people invest everything they have to load an entire container of a product, all their savings and, you know, all their their investment. And if something happens and that container doesn't sell, they lose everything and they shut down their dream in a drastic, drastic way. We had a client who had um, energy drinks that they were bringing in. And this was when energy drinks were just became the real fad. And uh, they came to us and asked for advice. And we provided all our counseling and all our suggestions and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, this particular client uh, chose not to be our client and, and decided to do it on their own with someone else. And um, in, in their product did get stuck in uh, New Jersey. And they came back to us to see how we could help then. And when we did that, and uh, we were able to make the new arrangements with them, but, you know, clearly there were several things that had been left out. As a result, things had been seized, and there was fines and stuff, and we were able to free it up. When the product eventually came, they had not uh, sold it, and so now they were trying to sell it. But, of course, the expiry dates were getting closer and closer, and they were out of money couldn't pay their bill. It was a disaster for them. And frankly, it was bad news for us as well. But we live and learn. We try to be helpful. We try to make sure that entrepreneurs can get the best possible advice. And we try to to help when the problems happen. But um, uh, so our advice many, many times, if you're bringing coffee and you don't have it pre-sold, don't bring it. If you're bringing alcohol and you don't understand who the actual importer is and how that stuff is sold to the LCBO, one of the biggest buyers in the world, don't bring it. I want to stress over and over again that you must do your research. You must do ask lots of questions. Um, and, and it's funny because I don't want to be discouraging. I do believe that we should be importing and exporting. There's lots of stuff that we can be doing. But what I see over and over again is people falling in love with their product and not listening to the numbers, not listening to experience. And that can be a real problem. Yes. And that is even a bigger problem when you deal with food items. 
As many of you know, the importation of food in Canada is controlled by CFIA, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. And since 2019, January, we have strict new rules of who can import uh, food items into Canada. And, and not only uh, the license and the control, but also the distribution. And uh, we see wonderful products coming from Brazil and all over the world. And as Peter mentioned, we are a multicultural society and all these different communities want uh, to have their foods from their own country, right? Things that they remember from childhood and they're used to. And some companies, they fall in love so much with the product and they don't do any research here that uh, things don't take off. We have a client that always tells me, for example, that uh, items that contain peanuts in them, uh, a lot of companies in the world develop products with peanuts in them, but in North America, as you know, and in Canada specifically, there is a huge concern with allergy uh, due to peanuts in, in children. And of course, Canadians are very worried about the health of, of its their, their citizens, but they also are worried about the history of this product. Where was it made? Who made it? What is the social impact of this product in the world? So a product has to have a context and Canadians are very concerned and they're, and they're watching. They want to know. So you need to analyze all of this before you make a move and you spend thousands of dollars on a dream that is not going to take off. Now, on the export side of things, we do a lot of consulting with trade accelerator programs for different boards of trade where we visit different uh, cities across North America, to be honest with you. And uh, we've this year alone, we've been uh, doing Zoom conferences with uh, six or seven cities in Ontario and in New Brunswick and in BC. And we're talking to Canadian exporters who are trying to figure out how to do their next big move. Now, by and large, the products made in Canada are expensive. So pricing is always going to be a problem, and as the currency changes and the Canadian dollar increases in value, it's even going to be more of a problem. But the selling point has been quality. One thing that the Canadian brand has in spades, it is the most important thing that the Canadian market can say, is that we will produce quality, safe products. So keeping that in mind, we have uh, seen plenty of opportunities where quality has been the most important factor, price is not the most important factor, and we've seen opportunities for companies to export. So Arno, let's talk about something else just for a second, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs in this area might be interested in products that they bring from one country that they're selling to someone else. So they're essentially reselling, but they want to prevent their final customer from knowing the origin factory in order to protect their status as a middleman and a, a re-shipper. Can you comment on that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, I, I think this is a very valid point is just, for example, products are manufactured in China every single day, and but then they are shipped directly to a final customer. And, uh, and that's when a freight forwarder comes in and really saves the day because in China, for example, or in any country, a manufacturer will produce something and execute the exportation of that product. But it is the freight forwarder that controls all the documents and how that product is shipped. So if something is manufactured in China 
and it is a Canadian company that owns that product, the Canadian company can simply create a commercial invoice and packing list showing themselves as the exporter of the product and their final buyer of the product on the documents and the freight forwarder can just direct the product to final destination, hiding that way, quote unquote, the name and address of the manufacturing in China. So a potential buyer cannot, you know, go direct or the, the Canadian client is it's protecting his uh, uh product line or whatever they are doing. So I think that's what you refer to, right, Peter? Yes, because I see so many entrepreneurs who are understanding the value as being the sourcing agent, but they do want to protect um, where they find the things because it's awfully easy to go around someone who is uh, perceived to be a middleman, and that, in fact, is the way a lot of people just do their business. We see that a lot, actually, clients asking me, Arno, I'm going to man- manufacture this in India, but I, you know, it's going to to Brazil, whatever, and I don't want my final customer to know who my uh, contracted party is. And it's, uh, again, it's very easy. It is legal for us to help our clients use the documents that they have in order to clear customs. 100%. Anyway, I think that's probably all we have for now for horror stories. We have more horror stories, but we don't want to scare people. We want to <laughs> not, <remind>. only, <laughs> not only horror stories. I think there are success stories as well. Yeah. We're telling these stories so you, can, you the entrepreneur, can think about uh, how to uh, plan, market, and uh, analyze your supply chain so you don't waste money. So what I want you to do is think about this. Do not fall in love with your product. Do not believe the past of your product in a different market. If you're importing into Canada, you've got to look at the Canadian market. You're going to have some obvious buyers who will know the product, but they'll be concerned about price. And then you'll have some new buyers who introduce the product to. Whether you'll have wide penetration or not, we don't know. We don't know because only you know once you do the research. If you are exporting your product, make sure, too, that you have all the documentation in place and make sure that you actually have a buyer who fully understands. And I will tack one little thing on the end here. If you're exporting your product, EDC, EDC, EDC. That is an organization that can minimize risk to make sure that your buyer can buy your product. I know we didn't talk about it in this presentation, but every exporter needs to know that organization. Yes, Export Development Canada, Peter. We need to say those names because they are so crucial to a Canadian exporter. And to add to this, I also would recommend somebody that is trying to penetrate in the Canadian market, hire a consulting company in Canada to analyze your plan, analyze your product, and give you a report of the acceptance of that product into the Canadian market before you spend even more money on development and research and then realize, oh my God, this is not going to go anywhere. Yeah, you can spend a little money and you should spend a little money on this, but I will tell you some resources for that. There are many, many consultants out there who are absolutely capable of identifying what the marketplace is for you. In addition, all the schools, 100% of the secondary, post-secondary schools provide capstone projects where they volunteer um, or for a, a modest fee, they will do the legwork and the research for you for the market penetration. And they will sign their uh, the NDAs and they will make sure that you have a fighting chance for penetrating this market and understanding what that market is, what the costs are, and what your business plan should be. Yes.
Anyway, we come to the end of episode five in our series Logistics in Motion. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for following us. And we'll see you next time. 